loser! You're a loser! Are you feeling sorry for yourself? Well, you should be, because you are dirt! Hey, is this fucking... What are we doing over here? I have something to say. Oh. Well, that's not very interesting. Hello? Testing? Check. One, two, three, four. Caleb Stevenson. Because this virus essentially was invented. Abs in a six pack. Yeah, maybe Michelle Obama like might be a man. I don't know. Uh, smoking weed, drinking vodka. Would a bad set of boobs on a nice girl be fine, or would a bad set of butt on a nice girl be fine? I will flat out shoot you in the fucking face. What the fuck's going on? I know Lil B. Talk to me. Talk Have to a me. crystal meth medical card. Yeah, yeah, I'm doctor prescribed. It's abs in a six pack broadcasting live from East Tennessee, joined by John, also known as Wallabeam on Twitter. Yes. How's Twitter been for you, man? How's that? Uh, oh, pretty bad. I'm really? not very active on there right now. Yeah, it's a good no, time to stay uh, off of there. Yeah, well, I'm going through my final two semesters of college, so I, I'm trying to get those out of the way, and then I'll focus on. I don't want to. I don't want to be promoting myself too much on Twitter until I have something to promote, or you know, something. Yeah, you get the idea. Yeah, well, also it's just the fact that Twitter is like, it's impossible unless you just start blocking people religiously yeah. to avoid the current shit show that is 2020 and all it entails. Yeah. And that's the problem because like everything I want to reply to, I feel, I feel like, I mean, I, I don't reply to things anymore because I feel like I, I don't want to repeat myself and I just see the same things over and over and everything political. I like, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of uh, part of this, uh, like, um, like the main, the major communities I follow are uh, sort of centered on, uh, getting politics out of comics or at least promoting apolitical uh, entertainment and so doing like uh, like every time I have I, I have you know I think I have a witty response to something political then I, I, I just like I type it out then I just delete it and then I don't even send it yeah that's the best way to not get cancelled yeah although it's <laughs> it's not it's not uh, you know being cancelled that I'm worried about I have nothing to be cancelled from at the, at the moment uh, the, my concern is just trying to, I don't know, I guess be consistent with, I don't know. Well, yeah, no, I mean the, the it, well, I'm, I'm, I have, to, I have mixed emotions on this because at, in one, in the one light, I think that the current, uh, state of the, uh, American politics is like one of the most funny and entertaining things ever. But yeah. also, to, to a lot of people, it's really tiresome. And um, especially just because of doing the podcast, I, I do deep, deep dives into research and just talking to people that I know I'm uh, definitely w more informed than most of the people I know. But, like, most people, it's just like they want to, like, you know, they want to watch their, uh, they want to play their video games. They want to watch their NFL. Um, they want to, you know read their comics but the yeah the, the reason like with everything going on politics is bleeding into that you know like you can't yeah. turn on an nba or nfl game without politics bleeding in you can't yeah. you know watch netflix or 
you know, like Gamergate even years ago was a perfect example of that was like people are just like I just want to play my video games without like a like having to worry about how big the girls in the video games tits are and be chastised yeah. for it. So it, it's like what's that phrase like you can you can ignore politics but eventually politics will stop ignoring you. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is like Nothing that I enjoy, like none of the uh, brands or, you know, properties, uh, anything fictional, nothing that I enjoy, I enjoy because of the politics it's espousing. It's always because it's, it's done really well. And sometimes there's politics in there, but, but it's just that the quality of the product is so good. You can, you can, you can ignore the, the politics or at least, uh, there's something to, to, uh, be enjoyed in the, in the product apart from the politics but uh recently it just seems like every every facet of everything being produced has uh politics at the core and you know it could some people will argue that it's because of uh just uh people growing up and seeing that everything is political or it's that things actually are becoming more political right now yeah um I mean, we can go, uh, I, I could talk for a while about why I think that's going on. I think um, it starts with propaganda being pushed by certain people um, that yeah. have influence over entertainment. And then there's pushback for that and then pushback from that pushback. And it just creates a divide. But um, going back to yeah. what you were saying about um, stuff that's even if it is political, you enjoy it because of the content. That's that's why I've always liked um south park as opposed to you know seth mcfarland shows because south park makes fun of everything and you can tell their general message yeah. is we don't believe in anything whereas seth uh -huh. Mc, like family guy and the other you know american dad cleveland show and the other ten thousand shows seth mcfarland had on fox they all push the same agenda um so like but yeah i like yeah what i will say one of the funniest comedians that living today is in my opinion is tim dillon He's probably my favorite right now, and he's he has the same attitude. He just like he shits on everything, which uh, I think that yeah. there, if you're gonna if you're if you're gonna be fair and talk about you know like current events and issues like that, and not just be a complete escape, you have to take the piss out of both sides. Yeah, and you know one of the one of the funniest people I've ever heard of, another Tim Tim Heidecker, uh, you know, really funny. But every single time I see him in an interview or on Twitter, wow. it's just the most de depressing stuff. Like, like he seems miserable. Like, yes, no, I totally agree. I, I've been this there. Tim is a great example. And there's several more I could think of where it's like, I like his work and I think he's really funny. But then I, I just see what he's doing. Like he advocates for censorship. Like when Rogan, we were just talking yeah. about this on the podcast the other day with ping trip. It's like when, when Rogan had Alex Jones on, Tim Heidecker went on this tirade on Twitter about how Alex shouldn't have a platform and Joe's a piece of shit. And it's like, dude, they're just having a conversation. It's like, since when have... Yeah. And that's the thing is like, you're... you're um, and it's not just the left, but it, let's face it, it's mainly the left right now. It's, comedians are against free speech. And I'm not sure... Like, Lenny Bruce would roll over in his grave with that shit. Yeah. What's another example besides Tim Heidecker? Because that's like the main one for me, but there's plenty more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, politics has infested uh, Star Wars. And even like, it's weird because uh, Tim Pool, I, I listen to Tim Pool now and then, and he made an argument that uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi was not political, uh, which I completely disagree with because all Wasn't the, that like, the one that had the, the first major... gay kiss in a Star Wars movie? You know, that would be the one uh, following that, The Rise of Skywalker. Right. Uh, the one where the one where like nobody could defend it anymore, like even even with the you know the first gay kiss and well, look the thing, at Mark, the thing that Mark sort of Hamill's that lost was, his damn uh, mind on Twitter, dude. Like basically all Mark oh, Hamill yeah. does is like Joe Biden's tweets on Twitter anymore. And yeah, and people were like people were pulling for him because he he sort of put out a lot of uh, messaging sort of uh, before the Last Jedi came out, warning people that you know this isn't going to be the movie that you want, and even that even he was disappointed by the script, and you know people like to say, well, but he he sort of pulled back on it. He he always follows it up by saying, but I actually believe in the movie. Well, of course he has to say that he believes in the movie. He's still like under contract from with Disney. Oh, oh, but, Disney. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah, but you know the the whole thing of uh, in Star Wars: The Last Jedi with with Admiral Holdo and and not telling uh, Poe Dameron the the whole uh, the plan, and and he starts getting paranoid and, and saying uh, and, and like he he actually leads all the other crew members in a mutiny against her, and and uh, there's all these people who who will defend uh, Admiral Holdo saying well she doesn't have to to tell him the plan, it's like no I, I'm pretty sure that as as long as it you know when it becomes like, tell them what's going on, or or they'll mutiny against you. It's probably better to tell them what's going on, especially when the only reason she wasn't telling him was because, uh, really, just a, a petty uh, squabble. You know, just trying to exert power over him. Uh, and people will will you know the the rebuttal to that was uh, in many cases, people will say that uh, she she believes that there's a, a, a first order spy on the ship and and sh that she thinks he might be the spy but the movie never indicates that there's absolutely no indication of the, of that in the movie now correct me if i'm wrong cuz that's the last star wars i saw i did not see the one after it um i called it quits after the last shot but isn't that yeah. the same one where leia well sidebar why the hell is Carrie Fisher's character still alive when her the actor the actress is dead. Yeah. But then Luke and Han get killed off even though they're still alive in real life. It just doesn't make any sense. But like, wasn't that the movie where she yeah. does that Mary Poppins shit out in space and like flies back into the ship? Yes. Yeah. And, that was uh, the exact and, moment you know, I was like never watching another Star Wars movie again, unless the yeah, original trilogy. And, yeah, and the the justifications that for that were really ridiculous. Like people saying, like, "What you think uh, the force is just force pushing and force pulling all the all the stuff you do in video games?" But it's like, <laughs> wait, but so so you can you can just say that people survive being unconscious out in space because of the force. That that takes it so far that like, why doesn't the force just do everything for everybody? Like you don't even need to be awake to, <laughs> to use the force. Yeah, no, it's they lost me on that. I don't know, like, yeah. uh, and, uh, yeah. it's just, we can't have good things anymore. No, and and uh, and part of it, to be fair, is just that they didn't plan out the trilogy. But I don't know. There was some uh, Ryan Johnson, the director of The Last Jedi. Uh, I think uh, 
Kathleen Kennedy, uh, the head at Lucasfilm, probably trusted him for uh, because they had the same political goals, and and uh, he just turned in a first draft, and and you know people hail it as high art because it it just doesn't it it doesn't do all the things you expect. Although it, it does follow the basic formula of uh, the Empire Strikes Back, just just with everything, you know, when you think it's gonna do one thing, it does the other thing. And, and my favorite my favorite meme from that movie that came out like right after that movie did was, uh, it was like a, a picture of Luke Skywalker, like old Luke Skywalker in the Last Jedi, milking that giant like cow thing, except it had Mickey yeah. Mouse's head on the like alien cow, and he's just like <laughs> yep. milking it. Uh, so yeah, uh, that, that I don't know. Like, I I have the same problem with really everything Disney touches because the Marvel movie franchise is, in my opinion, unwatchable now. Yeah, um, and plus now with the whole uh, like you've heard of uh, them filming uh, Mulan uh, basically <laughs> on a concentration camp yeah. property in in China. Yeah, and, Babylon and, uh, had an article same... about like. It was like a parody article. It's like you can see the weaker concentration camps in the background of Mulan. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, this is the same the same studio that refused to uh, was it Georgia? They refused to to shoot in because of the uh, pro life laws. Yeah, it, it's just so it's just so silly. Like what I don't know. Like you you hear the the phrase the Hollywood elite tossed around a lot and like Tim Heidecker will make fun of that and be like, Oh yeah. But I mean, it really seems like you, you can't, you have to toe a certain line if you want to get on, in on the ends in Hollywood, but Disney yeah. has no problem hiring convicted child rapists. Like that dude, I can't remember his name that worked on Nickelodeon went to jail, was convicted of sexually assaulting like two underage boys. Like, Six and eight Is that years the old. iCarly guy. Maybe it might be the, a different the, one, but there's multiple examples of Disney hiring convicted child molesters and rapists at high levels. Yeah, but they have the right political message, so you know they're inclusive and all this stuff. But it, yeah, but it, it, yeah, yeah it's, that's that's the thing about like oh man, a guy, a guy on Twitter I forgot who it was was like doing the whole. Oh, people are complaining about virtue signaling. Oh, I'm sorry that that I that I I'm a good person. Like saying that basically equating virtue signaling with being a good person. Yeah, it but sounds no, like the Dan thing Harvey. about virtue signaling it, it's 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 you virtue signal to hide that you're not a good person. Right. Yeah, and there's a lot of that. It's it's not just something that's happening on the left, but it's I don't know, like the 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 whole issue of censorship has really been bugging me because for some reason right now. The left has all the political power in entertainment, so they're the ones calling the shots. But, I mean, it you don't have to go too far back, just a couple decades ago, really, and the Christian right was trying to get stuff banned and successfully sometimes getting it banned for being offensive. So it's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. just the pendulum that swings back and forth, and both sides are total hypocrites. Yeah, and the, the new sort of leftist dogma, it has turned into a religion, like you know, uh, depending on your race, you you have to fulfill a certain function within the religion. Like if you're white, you have to you have to come to terms with your inherent racism. And <laughs> are you like, doing uh, the work, the, John? What was the one? Uh, you know, what was the? Uh, there was that book. Um, 
Yeah, White Fragility. Was that it? About, uh, White Fragility, yes. And uh, so I was reading a comic. It was uh, one of my favorite, uh, like an artist, a comic book artist that I really liked, Terry Dodson, uh, was doing a, a comic. I was only reading it for the art. Like, I, I you know, because I draw occasionally. And, and uh, it's good. I will link your stuff in the show notes because people need to check it out. I love as yeah. long as yeah, I haven't been updating like, like much with middle art, school and you've always been like banging out great drawings. Yeah, uh, my arts, I'd say my art's gotten a lot better since the last like finished drawing I, I posted. The last thing I did was a, a few goblins. Anyway, the, uh, so it was like uh, a couple of weeks after the, the riot started and there was a, sort of a, a message, a letter from the writers in the back of the comic. And, and it was it was, you know, just saying you know, just solidarity with uh, BLM. And then it had a list of literature that you can read to, <laughs> to know more about what's going on. And one of the books in the list was White Fragility. White Fragility Written by which, a white woman. Uh, as, yeah, and as Tim Poole pointed out, uh, a, a woman who is admittedly a racist who yeah. who's, who says basically like you know when I when I go in when I when I'm the only white person in a room full of black people I'm scared it's like no that's not because you're white that's because you're a racist that's yeah it's, so it's like the why problem they, is you yeah and then she's and that book is still as far as I know the top of the New York Times bestsellers list because everybody's like oh yeah this is well like, because she projects onto every other white person how she feels. Yeah. And then because uh, it fits the, same... the narrative that's funded by people like Soros and God knows who else, that gets pushed. And now it's to the point, like, you talk to some people and you're a bad person if you didn't read that book, let alone like that book. Yeah. Yeah, and a similar thing has happened with, uh, you know, Netflix's Cuties controversy. Yeah. <laughs> a, a guy did a review of it where he, he was basically, he said... Uh, um, that he finds the girls in the movie attractive. Yeah, I saw that. And he was yeah. saying, like, yeah, that's it's very important for a movie to to sort of confront that. It's like, but but that's but you're not normal. You're not representative of, <laughs> you know, the whole general audiences. It's not normal for for a, uh, an adult to to look at these girls and and uh, and enjoy that. <laughs> Tim Dill is like made a point. It's like it's like well, they made this movie to shed light on the fact that children are sexually exploited. So in the process, yeah. they sexually exploited children. What's wrong yeah. with it? <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I, th I think uh, I think there's been a lot of parodies about that stuff where, you know, people are are, are sort of activists or are, you know, drawing, raising awareness for the problems that they're immediate, you know, causing. I feel like I've, I must Babylon have seen... Babylon B keeps like, nailing it. They did, they, Babylon B did some article about, like, Netflix... Uh, sheds light on animal abuse by killing a bunch of puppies in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's sort of the, the main uh, comparison people have been using like a, like, yeah, making a, a movie weight, raising awareness of killing puppies by murdering puppies. <laughs> it's, I mean, but, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. And, um, as Adam, I haven't watched the movie, but I know I've know enough about it that Adam correctly pointed out on no agenda. It's like, that movie was in French. It was a total piece of shit and boring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what and I, I The I've controversy to... worked in the creators and Netflix's favor, really, because it was like the number one most viewed thing on Netflix because of all the controversy. Yeah, but um, didn't a lot of people uh, unsubscribe from Netflix? 
or on yeah i honestly like just the marketing campaign of that alone where it was like presented as cool that these you know fifth graders were twerking yeah. and all that i if i had if i paid for my netflix i would have canceled it but i just used somebody else's account so yeah so what i've heard is that the movie never actually presents a concise message about you know uh the ethics of child sexualization like it, it just you know it's just like stuff happens yes yeah, so uh yeah it's yeah it's just, I, just a, a weird thing to defend <laughs> No. It really is, and uh, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> it's. I feel like it's one of those things that I don't even like. It's been so. It's been covered to the point where I feel like it's just giving. It's just giving it more lip surface that it doesn't need. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That, but you know, just the whole point I was making was that uh, people. I mean, just in the. In the case of white fragility, uh, people making big deals out of their own problem, basically trying to make their own problem, convincing, gaslighting people into thinking that their problems is everybody's problem, and which kind of sort of dev, um, it sort of dampens the the uh, effect of like you know if if everyone's uh, racist, then then can it really be wrong to be racist? If, right. if everyone it, thinks the same like thing as Robin D'Angelo. Like, exactly. And it's the same... I mean, ever since 2016, like, so apparently half the country is racist. So it's like, are they really? And if they are, doesn't that, exactly like you said, devalue, like, what it means to be racist? Like, uh, I've been watching Lovecraft Country on HBO. Oh, yeah. The first episode was really good. Like, I really mm. liked it, despite how every single white person in that was, like, the most evil person you've ever seen. But it was yeah. still a good show. But every episode since then has gotten bad. But there's a there's a problem going on with the types of content Jordan Peele is writing, directing, and producing. And how it's, like, the best, the best thing since sliced bread and winning all the awards. I just don't... Um, like, it, it's, it's divisive stuff. It's, like, it's trying to, like... It's just like the stuff that tries to, div like, divide us up by gender. It's the, like, George Carlin yeah. talked about, divide and conquer. The stuff that's being pushed by the establishment is, like, is, it's, like, just yeah. super divisive. It's, like, every white person's a racist piece of shit and every black is a victim. But, like... Yeah, yeah, it... it uh, I saw this article on uh, Vulture. It's a person who's who uses very far-left rhetoric, uh, but... They make an interesting point by saying that the movie uh, *Antebellum*. I think that's a recent movie. Is that Jordan Peele? I've uh, seen the trailers. It's it's sort of inspired by Jordan Peele's work. Uh, I think I don't know uh, where it was released, but it's it's like uh, yeah, it's it's a recent uh, horror movie with uh, themes of slavery and stuff It'll like that. I don't know what the it. actual. It's really confusing what the plot is, but yeah, this article on Vulture, uh, it it sort of calls it calls it out this sort of this trend of of horror movies that sort of reduce the the experience of black people in America to just victimhood. Like, mm -hmm. there's not much to say about them other than that they're victims. And the same thing happens in comics right now. Like, if you if you see an um uh and um 
like a mix if there's a mexican character you know by in, within the first two pages of their first appearance they're going to say something about illegal immigration yeah and but meanwhile uh, yeah, that's not a, true i mean even like the like the the like we can tell from i mean i don't know if you you don't want to fully trust polls but yeah. The polls show that Latino support and African-American support for Trump are higher than any Republican in the last 50 years. So, yeah, it ought, like there's there's clearly a divide even there. Um, and, and then mm-hmm. like the people that are the most like freaked out and scared. And I don't want to make it all about Trump, but that is he was the catalyst for a lot of this divide in the current political sphere. The people that are mm-hmm. most freaked out by him are like white guilt ridden white people that like are ashamed to be white because that's the narrative being pushed. Yeah. Or if they're not ashamed, you know, it, it's, it, um, and I, I agree with the idea. Uh, I've heard, uh, a lot for, uh, that it's sort of, a it's, it's a, a new version of white supremacy. It's sort of, um, you know, the, um, what do you call it? When, uh, like, oh yeah, that, you know, that, uh, that comedy sketch video, they, uh, that was from one or two months ago, uh, where it's, it's the, the white supremacist and the social justice warrior and, and they oh, all the have woke, the exact the same and ideas. About, and they get totally get yeah. along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so and, good. Yeah. They have, they have all the exact, they, they basically, their worldviews, uh, stem from the exact same premise, you know. Yeah, I uh, Ryan Long actually emailed me back. That was the comedian that made that. He might be coming on the podcast. I'm gonna pull that up. Like now, oh, yeah. you brought it up. Let me see. What's that called? Uh, yeah. When wokes and racists agree, or something like that. Yeah, it, but yeah, uh, like even before that, um, like years ago, I think uh, Sargon of Akkad was making the same point that it's it's uh, it's um, huh. yeah, I forgot the, the exact terms he put it in, but yeah, that basically. Uh, sort of the woke uh i uh i uh, woke ideology politics. is basically a new it's 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 white supremacy basically because it's saying it's and they they do these these weird um sort of um uh, semantic arguments to get around that like even this this vulture article i just uh, referenced um they use you know they use the term whiteness but when they say whiteness they they want to say they're not actually talking about white people but like a historical idea of whiteness that was created by white people in order to oppress non-white people but right. but uh the, the problem is this idea gets you know people you know all the people who follow these uh these ideologies they don't have they like they're not all that nuanced in the way that they they you know i you know i i, I disagree with the premise in the first place but but you know the people who follow the people who put out this rhetoric they they're not thinking in a nuanced enough fashion to realize that, oh, we're not talking about all white people. We're just talking about uh, uh, an abstract concept of whiteness. You know, so so when they say, like, you know, whiteness is... Like, there was a, a picture on Twitter I just saw called white... It was like a banner that says whiteness is violence. And so right. they may be referencing that, that, sort of, that sort of abstract idea of whiteness, but other people, like, you know, far leftists who have, you know, you know TDS, all these, like, um, mental problems going on, they might see that and, and think, oh, so so if whiteness is violence, then then if I see a white person, then anything I do is just self defense. Oh, and that we've already seen real life examples of that. And the, the really sinister thing about this is, 
it's exactly what George Carlin said in like the 80s, divide and conquer. It's like, if you watch the media, everything they're going to be doing is talking about what makes us different, what makes us separate. Race, gender, sexuality, religion, anything to get us fighting with each other so that they, the elite, can keep running off to the bank with all the fucking money. Yeah. Simple, fairly idea happens to work. Yeah. And that's exactly what's going on. Um, but before I get to the wokes and racists, uh, Barricade Garage has this video called The White Ally. He's like this black dude with dreads. His his videos are so funny, but he's um, he's sitting on the couch playing his bass. And then uh, this, this guy comes in and tells him how oppressed he is. He plays all the characters, so he's... Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it's important to note that the white ally has a mask on. COVID. so oppressed bro you're oppressed i mean yeah i'm oppressed by the tax system family courts politicians the federal reserve law dude i'm not talking <laughs> about that dude i'm talking about slavery dude when my people oppressed your people dude i'm talking about the oppression of everyone happening right now and you're bringing up slavery dude the media hasn't told me to care about anything else other than slavery dude you black people are victims to my superior white race dude my job as a white ally is to make sure other white people know how much better they are than blacks did. This is how we're gonna help you guys out, dude. You literally <laughs> sound like a white supremacist. Bro, I'm not a supremacist, bro. If I was really racist, do you really think I would remind you 24 seven how oppressed you are and how much more privilege my race has over your race, bro? Huh? Really, bro? If I was really racist, bro, I wouldn't be wearing these Black Lives Matter underwear, bro. I wouldn't have reported businesses for not having a Black Lives Matter mural, bro. If I was really racist, dude, do you really think I would constantly make you feel helpless against my race, bro, by constantly showing you how many times my race killed your race, bro? <laughs> Come on, dude. A real <laughs> you get the idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like that, that's an interesting, interesting, like you know, trying to uh keep basically keep minorities afraid, uh, sort of creating this environment of fear as a way to 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 subjugate. It's yeah, yeah it's I, I think there's a lot of that going on. The social controllers know what they're doing, but more and more. People are catching on to the scam, and that's why more and more people are getting censored from the internet as they do catch on to the scam. Yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and play that one you were talking about. Ryan Long's great. Don't his, overpay for his, car uh, insurance. Ad. His stuff's always so funny, man. He had, he had Roger Stone on the day after he got pardoned on his podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boys cast. When me and Brad first met, I didn't think we'd get along, but turns out we kind of agree on everything. Your, Your racial identity is the most important thing. thing. Everything should be looked at through the lens of race. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. Damn. We both have a lot of opinions about people of color, even though we barely know any. I say colored people, but as long as we're classifying them, we both think minorities are a united group who think the same and act the same. And vote the same. You don't want to lose your black card. Sorry, I don't know. I just think we should roll, roll back, back discrimination laws so we can hire based on race again. Jinx, now you owe me a Coke. Hey, tell them what you told me yesterday. White actors should only do voices for white cartoon characters. Been saying that for years. Stick to your own. Us white people, we have so much privilege. I agree. It is a privilege to be white. Ask him about interracial dating. <laughs> All I said is that black men who date white women have internalized racism, and white men that date ethnic women are fetishizing them. Guys against interracial dating now. Like, am I being pranked? Did Boomer put you up to this? 
Ugh, you know that taco place is white owned? White people should be making white foods like Kraft macaroni and cheese, no seasoning, not even salt. It's like he's a mind reader. I mean, I've been pushing for segregation forever and my man does what? I created an improv comedy show exclusively for ethnic people. Guy segregates comedy on my birthday. White people need to stop wearing <laughs> dreadlocks and they need to stop appropriating black people's music. Shaved heads and country music, the way God intended. You know all white people are racist. I'm listening. Even if you have a black <laughs> wife or a black friend group, you're still really racist. No, he just kicked a guy out of the organization for having a black girlfriend, but if you can promise me he's still really racist, we'll consider letting him back in. Black, black people should only shop, shop at black businesses. businesses. I guess the only thing we really disagree about is I think white people are the root of all evil. But what did I tell you though, if we can narrow that down to a certain group of tiny-hatted white people, I think we can come to an understanding. Technically, I don't consider Jewish people white Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> So good, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, really good. No, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, we live in an era where parody isn't even parody anymore because I know people personally that think like that. So it's like, oh, yeah. It's, it's the South Park. They were talking about that a couple, like, I guess it was two years ago when they were, they were like, like, the current state of the world is so funny that like it's getting hard to like write jokes that are funnier than like the ridiculousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been. I have not been uh, up to date on South Park lately. Oh, here's an interesting anecdote. Um, have you seen what's going on in Australia, where if you say something no. negative about the lockdown? And say like we should be we shouldn't be locked down and we should be able to like work and go outside of our house like you literally can't leave your house in Melbourne and Victoria Australia and they're saying it, it's going to be in effect till December at least so if you put a Facebook post saying we should not follow this lockdown or this lockdown's bullshit the cops come into your house and arrest you and it's been happening all over Australia so oh, yeah. for twenty three years. SBS, um, the broadcasting station in Australia, has been playing South Park. And they just announced they're canceling South Park from being played in Australia. They announced that a couple days ago. And this week, South Park premieres, and it's a pandemic. It's a pan not planned. It's a pandemic, one-hour-long pandemic special. So I'm assuming that's not a coincidence that Australia decided to cancel South Park right when they're doing a pandemic episode. Yeah. Did you see uh, the Internet Historian's uh, videos on the pandemic? Really just comedic anecdotes about, like, just random stories. That no, spun but out I didn't. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a note of that right now so I can put it in the show notes and watch it. Yeah. Because uh, for every I mean, episode, nothing... like, we'll, we'll put it, we'll put, like, links to stuff in each episode. So I, I definitely want to see oh, that. Yeah. I haven't watched Internet Historian in forever. Oh yeah, he's he's one of the best YouTubers out there. Like he's not, um, uh, yeah, I like, wouldn't call his content political, uh, but that's probably one of the better things about it. Write it down. I I still I watched uh, Plandemic two, the second part of that documentary series. Yeah, I watched that twice, and that's a mind blowing. They go over all the patents about how like gain-of-function research on coronavirus was outlawed in, like, 2014-15, so Obama approved them to start doing it overseas. So Bill Gates and Dr. Anthony Fauci funded gain-of-function research of coronavirus. Um, 
in the Wuhan lab, which just so happens where the outbreak started a couple miles from there. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it, the, it, it, there's like, they have all these patents on it. Like the vi like COVID-19 is a patented virus. And they go through like some of the, in, the uh, some of the insiders on there. And of course that, um, that never even saw the light of the day on social media. Like YouTube banned it before it even got uploaded, but you can find it on BitChute and stuff. But the, yeah, they, it's the um, the pandemic is an obvious power grab. Whether you look at what financial markets and global banks like the money flow right now, how they can just buy things up for pennies on the dollar because everybody's in poverty with the economy sh shut down worldwide and. Also, the, the surveillance systems being put in place, like contract contact tracing. It's a uh, there's a lot of big moves being made right now, and none of them benefit you or I. Yeah. I wrote okay. Internet historian pandemic is that what it is? Pandemic stories. Uh, it's it's one of his. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, have to check really that out. Good, really good editing. Really amazing voice. Have you ever watched uh, Mouthy Buddha? Oh uh, no. His his uh YouTube he has a, a Pizzagate series. He did like three parts. The second part's about Tom Hanks, and the the third it's the it's really disturbing, but really well done, mm -hmm. and also just a total red pill if you don't believe that pedophiles run most of Hollywood and the government. But um, mm -hmm. YouTube banned all three episodes, and then after um. Trump signed that executive order, which I, I'm not sure if it's gone into effect yet, but it's basically like um, enforcing Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act to where you can't be immune from what's on your platform if you're also going to curate it. And after they did oh, that, YouTube, they, originally they wouldn't let him appeal, and they had all, the, all three of those videos taken down from his YouTube channel. And then after Trump signed that executive order, now they're all back. And he didn't even get to appeal them. They just popped back up on his channel. So hopefully, hopefully Trump's doing something about the social media censorship because, I mean, shit, no agenda just got banned from Spotify yesterday or the day before. Um, oh, yeah. The, the, it's, I mean, for, for like five years, that's been my problem is all my favorite people on Twitter, YouTube or whatever just keep getting banned. So it's like, there's not after a while. It's like there's not much left for me to watch. I got video game donkey, and that's about it. Yeah, it's it's always weird when they they always seem to find the weirdest things to ban people over. Yeah, Alex Jones got banned from Twitter because he didn't even do it on Twitter. He went up to Oliver Darcy of CNN, who was the guy like for years complaining on CNN that Alex Jones wasn't banned from this and wasn't banned from that, and he like. When you watch, uh, Tim Pool was on Joe Rogan with Jack Dorsey and Jack Dorsey's lawyer. And the reason Dorsey and his lawyer give for banning Alex Jones is Alex Jones went up to Oliver Darcy of CNN and said, you look like a possum. He did it in person, too. He's like, you look like a possum who crawled out the rear end of a dead cow. You're a really evil oh, yeah. person. in my yeah. yeah. And so it's like, that's yeah. what got that's what got him banned. Not every other thing he's ever said before, after like before that, it's so funny. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think uh, uh, Sargon got his his Patreon taken down because he basically he was making fun of white supremacists. Yeah, 
Like yeah, he was it, ridiculing white supremacists. Exactly. Context context does not matter. Yeah. Oh man, did you see the thing where uh, Count Dankula was coming out of the courthouse and the and the the reporter was like was like uh, questioning him and 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 uh, Dankula says uh, you know context matters and and the the guy's like the guy repeats the quote from Count Dankula that got him in trouble basically. And, and you know, Count Dankula shuts him down. Like he says, "Well, if context doesn't matter, then you just said it." So, so <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a uh, the that South Park episode with apologies to Jesse Jackson is like still one of my favorites. Where Randy says the N word on Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's like because there's a funny episode. There's so much sub. There's so much. There's so many layers to that episode of about like what free speech means and oh, also. Yeah. But uh, his, they they outlawed the N word, and then, or no, like like two like when they finally passed like N word guy. Well, first of mm-hmm. all, like Trey Parker, and Matt Stone saying the N word like hard R uncensored on Comedy Central was something that's pretty mind blowing. But it's like it, it's just it also goes to show you like how like it, just the agenda is what matters because there's like two words that are. <laughs> Normally harmless, inward and guy, when used together, <laughs> can be a missile of hate. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, uh, but there's like there, there's a, there's a, there's a serious. Well, I don't know. Let me let me just derail the point I was about to make and ask you this: Is it gonna get better? Are people gonna start like? Is it going to go back to 2008 when Robert Downey Jr. can do blackface because people know that it's not Robert Downey Jr. doing blackface. It's Robert Downey Jr. playing a character who is supposed to be an idiot playing blackface. Does Is context going to matter again when it comes to humor and when it comes to anything? You know, I, I don't think it'll ever go back. Uh, like, I think it'll get I think it could get better, but I don't think it'll go back. Yeah, what's that? Tom Segura's and his one. Well, I think his... it has to get better because I think all the structures <laughs> in place that sort of keep that sort of you know the basically the supports for cancel culture. I think those they're you know they're starting to break down. Although you know I've, I've been feeling that for the last like few years, so I don't I don't know. Well, look at the the Grammys every year, the Grammys and the Oscars and the Emmys. Every single year, they have even less viewers than they did the year before. Like, we yeah. just had the Emmys all-time low. But, yeah, but, like, part of the thing is, like, um, all these, like, all these platforms... I mean, I, I think uh, Tim Poole uh, said, you know, uh, how there's the phrase, um, get what broke. Uh, he pointed out that in a lot of cases, it's get broke, go woke. And, and you know, the... the yeah. Like, a, a lot of these... Like, I think a lot of these... Um, media uh were starting to go obsolete before the 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 wokeness caught hold and and they did that sort of as like a sort of a safety net and and it just accelerated the decline because you know with the with the internet and technology changing constantly like there's no there's no safety in, in anymore there's no uh yeah for for like big huge companies they can't be too big to fail anymore yeah, well, it, we were just talking about this with Pink Trip. I like, I seriously think, and I, I, he, uh, I think would agree with me. 
if the free market really were able to decide and these tech platforms were open and free um, and any content that wasn't illegal would be allowed, the trend was already heading towards places like you know, CNN, Fox News, um, even Vice News, um, and let's face it, just movies like blockbuster movies were really taking a dive because people were getting independently created content. But now that so yeah. much of that has been censored and banned, and with that become comes more people self censoring, I, I think mm -hmm. the, if the free market were allowed to be played out, like CNN might already be bankrupt. Yeah, yeah but, uh, and like just just think about like. Yeah, like, I mean, um, if you look at, uh, you know, as we pre previously discussed Star Wars The Last Jedi, uh, it was very poorly written with, like, extreme plot holes. I mean, like, there wasn't even a plot. There was there's so many holes, there wasn't a plot. Um, right. Basically, uh, but it still got really good reviews. Like, uh, almost, like, you know, approaching 100% of Rotten Tomatoes. Critic reviews, uh, yeah. But because they used social causes to... Uh, to make it so any critic who doesn't give them a good review is, you know, could get canceled. Basically, you're a bigot. It's uh, it's the so, same thing they did with Ghostbusters. You you remember the original reason Miley Yiannopoulos got banned from Twitter? He wrote a bad review of Ghostbusters, and if you did not have your full fledged support behind an of all female remake of Ghostbusters, then you were just an asshole, a bigot, a sexist, and they they did the yeah. same thing with the Last Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, and, and people were like, it, it's so weird because people were saying this stuff before the movie came out, and and uh, and like Spy, the previous movie by the same director and Melissa McCarthy, it wasn't even very good. <laughs> and that one, that one yeah. had the that one also had like, uh, you know, if I say it had a feminist message, you might think, oh, of course, uh, it had a woman in it. Uh, no, I, I the only thing that the only thing that makes it overtly feminist is that in the in the plot of the movie, she has this friend who she has like a friend Jude Law who dies at the beginning of the movie, and then it turns out he's still alive at the end, and then and then uh, he well, asks like uh, her on, out on a date. So yeah, he asks her out on a date, and it's like this is the one thing she's wanted her entire life, and then and then uh, you know she looks over at her friend who's been there all along and says, "No, I think I'll spend the evening with my friend." <laughs> it's like. It's like, but it, do, it doesn't make it, it girl. from a, from a character motivation point of view, it makes no sense because there's this person that she's wanted to be with her whole life who she thought was, who she, who just basically came back to life and, and it's like, ah, go, go away. And then, and then her friend, it, because, you know, I, I suspect because of feminism, uh, you know, it's just weird. It's, it's like, it's just, you know, basic character motivation is obsolete. Yeah, and what sucks is these movements are, have been so co-opted and there's so many other agendas, like the Marxist agenda being pushed with Black Lives Matter. It's like everybody pretty much, I mean, you're it's you're going to be, it's going to be really hard for you to find someone that doesn't think women should have equal rights. It's going to be really hard for you to find someone that doesn't agree that Black Lives Matter and Black Lives are equal. But yeah. because these movements are either co-opted or start off with evil people with bad intentions, like masquerading as a good movement, it creates this divide because it's like you have to pick one side or the other instead of all of us just agreeing that, yes, these are good principles, but yeah. 
It, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, and that's what happened with uh, with cuties because th- there were articles coming out saying what is the right's obsession with the, with the movie <laughs> cuties, like <laughs> making it uh, a, a partisan political thing. Like if you're if you hate cuties, then then you're a far right bigot. Yeah, no, uh, my favorite article, I think it was from Vice or BuzzFeed or something. It was like it was like addressing the pedophobia of the right. <laughs> it was like. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like you're already yeah. you're, you're so like the way that's framed is either you're on the left, which apparently now is pro pedophilia, or you're on the right and you're pedophobic. And it's like, what the heck? Yeah. Like, it's just it's, like, it's, it's insane. Like these are these are plants. Like, uh, you know how uh, some people think that uh, who's the who's the famous white supremacist guy, that, Richard Spencer. So a right. lot of people think he's like a, a plant. Basically, I think he's a like, like trying, trying to make the right. A, yeah, because he, yeah. He, he 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 poses. He used to be a leftist. Supposedly, he so, converted to white supremacy. But I think he is a plant because he endorsed Trump, who's an outsider. And then he goes and endorses Tulsi Gabbard, who's an outsider. It's just it's like yeah. it's almost like David Duke. It's like they're like working for like some like the Central Intelligence Agency or something to just discredit outsider candidates by endorsing them. And I know for a fact yeah, I know for a fact, like, you, you have seen, um, there's a lot of examples of, of people who are maybe not, on, maybe, maybe on the right or maybe moderate who are, who are like, uh, you know, like Titania, Titania McGrath. Oh, the parody uh, account, um, yeah. God, Godfrey Elf, Elfwick. Like, you see a lot of, uh, people on the right, uh, who don't realize it's parody and responding to it. And I, I sort of, uh, <laughs> like, I, I've done responses, uh, to those. Like, I always try to make it, like, uh... You know how like you want to you want to make a, a, a sarcastic joke and and uh, and you don't know where the line is where okay people get that this is sarcasm but it's not too obvious uh, so I, I try to sort of play along with those things but I stopped doing it because like people were responding to me not realizing that I was being sarcastic yeah 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 no sar- sometimes sarcasm doesn't uh, translate yeah. well especially on Twitter but it does make you wonder like who who you know, in in positions of power on on in the media, uh, who are leftists, who have you know, which of them are secretly on the right, and they're just working to subvert them. I think there's or double agents on both sides, to be honest. Um, yeah. Oh, speaking of speaking of the media, did you see uh, the Fox News clip that was going around where Newt Gingrich was on there, and he brings up that George Soros is like funding these district attorneys and funding Black Lives Matter and rioters and stuff. Oh, no, I, I didn't see that. Okay, this, it, just to show you that even Fox News is, like, totally controlled. Because, like, people on the right like to think that, like, Fox News is, oh, like, yeah. is somehow, like, above yeah. it all. But it's just as yeah, bad like, as if, CNN. If, if there's only going to be one major right-wing uh, news corporation, like, it's... Obviously, it's not going to be untouched. <laughs> like Exactly. I, it's, it, there's no way it's going to be uh, what it, you know, what it looks like. It's there to appeal to a demographic. I'm thinking that I'm hoping this is the right clip. So Newt Gingrich is on Fox News and just listen to this. This is hilarious. Knock, knock. Yep. You're uh, another ad. This this is like Soros is uh, Soros is on another level. But this is this is just hilarious. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died last Friday. She passed away of cancer. It was a sad moment because death is always sad. No matter what. How, how did I get to Tucker? Get out of here, Tucker. Knock, knock. You're <laughs> What's going on? The YouTube algorithms are stopping me from getting to the truth about Soros. 
is good. This is good stuff right here. Destroyed by this violence. Yeah, it's so true. They represent. Okay, yeah. So here's Newt Gingrich on Fox News weighing in on the riots. Represent everybody, right? Speaker Gingrich, I know yeah. you have a final thought for us. Yeah. Look, the number one problem in almost all these cities is George Soros-elected, left-wing, anti-police, pro-criminal district attorneys who refuse to pe keep people locked up. Uh, just yesterday, they put somebody back on the street who's wanted for two different murders in New York City. Uh, you cannot solve this problem. And both Harris and Biden have talked very proudly about what they call progressive district attorneys. Progressive district attorneys are anti-police, pro-criminal, and overwhelmingly elected with George Soros' money. And they're a major cause of the violence we're seeing because they keep putting the violent criminals back on the street. I'm not sure we need to bring George get Soros into this. <laughs> what? I was going to say you get the last word, he Speaker. <laughs> he, he, he paid for it. I mean, why can't we discuss the fact that millions no, of dollars he spent? I, I agree with Melissa. George Soros doesn't need to be a part of this conversation. Okay. So it's verboten. All right. We're going to. Okay, we're going to move on. Uh, historic day at the White House. We covered it. <laughs> that dead air. Dude, it's, you know what? So, it, okay, but bottom line, if you think that Fox News is um, any kind of, like, good news source, no. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I had a class. Uh, it was a, I think it was a, a history class of some kind. No, it was a study of world religions, but there was a point where the teacher just randomly He's like, he's talking about how like anyone who, like, I don't, okay, I don't know anything about the uh, George Soros and, you know, all the stuff he's funding and, and all that. But, but he basically said that, that anyone who doesn't like George Soros or, or thinks George Soros is involved in anything is anti-Semitic. An, an anti-Semitic. Anti mm -hmm. And, no, that's, you know, the, that's I, the talking like, point. When I, when I think it's the like name, if you say, yeah, it's like, like saying if you think OJ Simpson's a murderer, then you're anti-black. Yeah. It's a way of shutting people up. Yeah, it's it's just yeah, just you s shutting down conversations like just at the start like like this what uh I just saw a clip of uh, Joe Biden and someone's bringing up his his uh his son and and uh he's just like he's like no 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 no, no. we're not going to talk about the, we, what we really should be talking about is 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 Trump and how he's a terrible person and and, <laughs> and uh it's like Okay, so, I mean, not engaging in, in a, you know, using these tactics to, to shut down a uh, conversation about something, it just really, you know, it's, it's like, it's like when it's like virtue signaling, I mean, in some cases it is virtue signaling, but in, in other cases it's like just, it's, it's trying to send no signal, but, but try to, you know, uh, shut down the conversation and, you know. It's, 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 it's like when, so uh, when people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., or Del Bigtree, when they say, hey, it's messed up that you, it's illegal to sue a vaccine company, and it's messed up that they don't have to do any safety testing or any double-blind placebos. We know people are getting damaged by these things. And they, instead of, like, people that demand safety testing on vaccines are called anti-vaxxers. It's the same thing mm -hmm. as, like, when you if you question, you know, George Soros or... <laughs> then you're like anti-Semitic. 
and Robert Kennedy Jr. makes a good point. He's like, I've been working to get mercury out of fish and out of coal plant emissions for decades. Nobody called me anti-fish because I was trying to get mercury out of it. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's 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 a it's a good way to shut down the any discussion of a topic. And yeah. when you're yeah, on the, the side that, with that the... runs the social, when the social media companies are on their side, they can ban you. They've banned thousands of doctors, scientists, epidemiologists, and virologists who go against the COVID narrative and are saying these lockdowns are dumb. They just get banned. Mm. Credentialed doctors banned. Yeah. And people have successfully uh, sort of poisoned the conversation about uh, social. I don't like using the term social justice warriors because a lot of people don't get the 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 uh, irony of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, when you if you complain about uh, social justice warriors, people you know social justice warriors will pop out and 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 say that any any rhetoric against them is against minorities, even oh, though. Yeah. Like and it's even though, like you know, if you look just at just like Antifa's always white people. If you look people. at the, if you look at the rioters, they're mostly white people, right? Exactly. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things Dan Harmon said. Where he was like, "It's like I, I I use my voice to try to do good in the world, uh, but I guess that's you know as as the Nazis call it, that's virtue signaling." And it's like, "Oh, okay, so everyone who calls what you oh, do yeah. virtue signaling is a Nazi." Thanks, Dan yeah. Harmon. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> But uh, like, uh, just to just to keep in so the we- tradition of this show, anytime you talk bad about Soros, you gotta play the jingle, just to stay safe. Jews rock! All right. I love Jews. Now they can't get us. Mm. <laughs> you have right. you watched Million Dollar yeah, Extreme? It's- Sam Hud. Uh no. They got canceled after six episodes on Adult Swim because like. They were Trump supporters. Okay, it, yeah, it's like I've right heard after, of this. I think, uh, I think Justin Wang did a, a video on it. Yeah, about that subject. And I listened oh, to. Uh, yeah, it's 2016, and if you're not cool with homosexuals in your schools teaching your kids about butt sex, it was just it was it was like um, their show was like Tim and Eric style comedy, but it was like, and it was like a a rebuttal or like a response to like the overly PC culture. Which is why it didn't yeah. last long on there because BuzzFeed and, I, and Washington Post started writing articles about how they were bigoted. So, yeah, I, I saw his uh, his TED talk. <laughs> That's so good. In that like that breastplate. <laughs> his his TED talk is a direct parody of Bill Gates because Bill Gates always talks oh, about yeah. death panels and how we can save money if we don't give grandma end of life care. Then we can hire three teachers with that money. It's like, but that's called a death panel. Yeah. You're not you're not supposed to talk about that. And then Sam Hyde gets up there and he's like. Old people and the disabled won't be in the pro- problem in the future because we're just gonna kill them. Like it's Bill Gates' you know TED Talk verbatim, except he just takes it to its logical conclusion. You know, Super I, I always hate it when people. Go ahead. I always hate it when when people have this knee jerk reaction against the rich, like you know, talking about the rich like they're they're subhuman. But then I wonder, I do have to wonder if you're if you're in a position like Bill Gates, do you even have like do you have human impulses in, in thoughts, you know, that can be, are comparable to, you know, to people who have to actually, you know, think about survival rather than thinking about like, like, you know, having this, a scheme for how you need, you know, how to save the world or possibly control. Bill Gates and his father have openly talked about eugenics and lowering the population. 
So yeah, like, when Bill Gates is pushing vaccines on, and he, he wants, you know, the whole world to have vaccines, he wants digital tattoos, a.k.a. microchips, to prove everybody's gotten their COVID vaccine. And even like Associated many, Press many, and Reuters have reported that more people now in the world have polio from Bill Gates' polio vaccine than could have ever gotten polio from, like, a wildly occurring strain of it. So at a certain yeah. point, when Bill Gates is walking around constantly saying we need to lower the world's population, and then simultaneously, like pushing vaccines, it's like, okay, what's what is it? Which is it? What what are you doing? Yeah. So, anyways, my like we did a two part episode on Bill Gates, and we actually used Sam Hyde's TED Talk in there and played it side by side mm. with Bill Gates' TED Talk. Um. But yeah, I I don't I agree with you. There's nothing wrong with being rich or wealthy. I have no problem with that. But yeah, I think I mean, part of the thing is uh, it's one of the like, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a capitalist. I would I would say you know You're I I, bl- I believe in yeah I am a capitalist pig. I mean that's I mean basically just because I think it just seems it's the it's what works. Um, but the one thing that that uh, I guess the recurring question is you know uh, if um, the, the idea of, of people giving their wealth to their offspring which I guess the the safeguard in that situation is when is when someone is born rich for, from a rich family then they maybe they don't they they won't they don't know how to use the money and then the, they their family won't be rich anymore and then it'll it'll you know someone someone well, in that line will have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps <laughs> maybe but you know, that, that it, goes back to secret but, societies and bloodlines yeah i guess i guess the problem is that it could be that the reason it doesn't it doesn't work that way is because of uh anti-capitalist uh con, you know government controls I, i've heard that uh argument a lot that that uh, the reason we don't have the the sort of capitalist utopia, even though we are in a capitalist society, like like uh, I mean, like Ayn Rand will argue that monopolies can't exist in a in a real in a free market, but a lot of other people will have the knee jerk response that uh, monopolies, you know, are inevitable in a in you know capitalist society. Yeah. Well, once a monopoly becomes so big. Uh, it, it ceases to be capitalism. It becomes something closer to authoritarianism or totalitarianism. Um, so, like, yeah. you have to like a, a true free market means that um, like there's always going to be competition because you're not getting shut down, bought out, or sued into oblivion by the big guys like your WalMarts or your Microsofts. But uh, yeah. I, the obvious the obvious solution. To all of this- convince me on that. All lands will be under the communist regime to Xi Jinping will be the supreme leader of the land. He already owns all of our debt. He already owns the NBA, the NFL, Hollywood, six of the eight major movie production studios. Xi Jinping will take us to victory. And this is the USSR national anthem, but you know, Russia's not a threat, so... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you've convinced me. Yeah, you've you've convinced me of of communism. <laughs> uh, well, man, let's uh, 
let's let's end on a little bit of a happier note for the next 20 minutes or so what's uh aside from the impending doom of the world and the pandemic lockdown scam to set up a world government and the eugenics program to kill most of the dumb people like us and the poor people oh yeah what's the uh what's yeah. what's good you got you see any good movies lately any good tv shows oh, uh, I, I just uh i just watched dr sleep that was pretty good better than i thought oh, yeah I, I saw that yeah uh, i liked it i liked the middle part of that movie i didn't like the the first third or the final act of the movie really i liked the, the, the first I, part was really slow i love the part where it's all the you know the um what do you call them the shine shiner shining people <laughs> uh in the woods and it's sort of you know they're sort of witch-like and oh when, they, like, when they're shooting them with they the rifles that, and all that yeah they where they kill that kid that kid that was being um what do they call the it blonde girl when with short hair yeah, when he turns into a vapor when he's screaming like that that the boy that they kidnapped from, from the baseball oh yeah that was like dark. that his acting his acting like the thing that sold it was his acting felt real like i yeah, don't know man they, they and... must have convinced him he was in actual danger <laughs> As Alex Jones has always said, Stephen King is dialed in because that it goes beyond metaphor with that, like the psychic vampirism of like people that oh, yeah. kidnap and sacrifice children. Like that's that shit's real, and I think Stephen King might be into that kind of stuff. I don't know. He looks definitely looks the yeah. part, but he he definitely has a lot of insider information. But no, I I really liked. Um, now the plot, I could agree with you, was a little iffy around the first act and the third act, but I really liked how well they tried to give the visual representation of the original Kubrick film. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm also, I'm, I don't know, I don't really like it when actors try to play other actors playing characters. It's too many, it's too meta for me. Are you talking about when, like that Jack, Nich uh, when uh, Jack Nicholson, quote unquote, was at the, the guy, bar? Yeah. The Jack Nicholson impersonator, the Shelley Duvall impersonator, the um, Scatman Crothers impersonator. Yeah, now you're right. I thought I mean, I, don't know, uh, I, I, I thought they I thought the casting was like, good. It, it unless seems it, was it seems kind of counterproductive to you know how like these the people who made the movie they didn't they don't really like like you know they recognize that the original movie is iconic but they don't really like it as an adaptation of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, I've not read the book, but uh, yeah, apparently it's because the um jack uh jack nicholson's character uh was portrayed in the movie as like you know he not not a lot of depth like he, he you don't see his like any fatherly love from the character in the in the movie he uh he there doesn't seem to be a point where he was ever a good guy he just sort of slides off into evil really fast yeah and uh and so they wanted to do a movie that was more about alcoholism uh, which the, apparently the original book was meant to, meant to be about, mm -hmm. and so they still they still made it a sequel to the uh, the movie, but n not the book. So like at, at, in the original movie, the hotel uh, out overlook over what is it called? It doesn't burn down in the movie. In the book, it did. So in the in the Doctor Sleep book, they went at the end to the burnt remains of the hotel. Or in the movie, they now was Doctor Sleep an actual book? Because I read The Shining. Uh, I think I read it, I believe it twice, is. but I never read Dr. Yeah. Sleep. Yeah, it, it's a real, it's a book, I, I think. Yeah, I, I believe it is a book. Um, I've not, I haven't actually read any uh, Stephen King books. He's, his writing style just isn't my cup of tea. I like Cell a lot, but I haven't read it in so long. 
Oh, I, I heard the movie was terrible. They had yeah, a, the movie was uh, not John good. John Cusack. And... Yeah. I had I was like so excited that they made it into a movie and I watched it and I was like, yeah. oh man. I mean, I guess my thing with, with Stephen King is it seems like he has a lot of really, really cool concepts, but then there's a lot of random stuff that just complicates it unnecessarily. Dreamcatcher was like that, the book. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I heard of the, the movie. The movie was done by, was it Lawrence Kasdan? I don't know. It's the got dude, Morgan the... Freeman and the dude from My Name is Earl. Yeah, yeah. Part two, part two of it. Um, the, I hated the first one. Like, I didn't hate it, but I did not like it. I'll say, I just like, yeah, I wasn't like yeah. pissed off that I was watching it while I was watching it, but I was like, that wasn't very good. Part two, I yeah. thought was really good because it was like way more of a fun movie. There's slow parts in the movie, like, especially when they have flashbacks yeah. to when the kids are there. But I thought like part two was really good, especially, I always so, I have a soft spot for Bill did, Hader, I guess was my main reason. But yeah. Did part two attempt to be scary or was it more of just a thrill ride type of thing? Because that's what I heard that it was more just. You know, random. You know, they, danger uh, happens. And it, it, it was it the best. Like there were parts that I was not pleased with. That mainly the parts that were kind of like it. The part one of it, where it was like focused yeah. on the kids. But there were I, part, I saw, uh, there were uh, so many great references. It, it was. I mean, it was definitely not like a horrifying movie by any means. They yeah. really. They. It. It was almost like. Uh, like. Ash versus Evil Dead kind of a feel, so it was okay, like yeah, I, like I didn't Army like. I'm a big fan of uh, the first two Evil Dead movies. I like Army of Darkness as well. Uh, I didn't like Ash versus the Evil Dead. Yeah, oh, well, Army of yeah, I guess my my problem with Army of Darkness the movie is, uh, I, I think some of the energy is lost from the first two movies. It starts uh, off I, great, and then like the last half of the movie just well, yeah, falls apart. I mean, I mean, I love uh, I love uh, stop motion special effects, but the effects at the end in the final battle in that movie are really hard to look at because they're so they're just they're and just so the janky. plot and I've falls seen, apart. I I think I just watched the movie uh, Dragon Slayer, and it was amazing. Uh, there were some stop motion scenes where, I mean, I don't I don't know, like I could, I can't tell if they use stop motion or puppetry in some scenes because it's so seamless and that was 1981 that was before army of darkness that's what uh, I, uh, I just rewatched little shop of horrors and i feel the same way about the plant at a couple parts ooh. i'm like did you see the alternate ending no of little shop of horrors yeah yeah they spent like half the budget on this on the the, the original ending where the, uh, the plants take over new york city <laughs> what? and then they just Is that on youtube they wanted a happy yeah Oh yeah, my you, god, uh, I have to look to, it up okay. on YouTube. I got the, yeah, both keep of the, notes. Write that yeah, down. I, I think they may have released I, I think they may they I think the last Blu-ray release might have a cut of the movie with the original ending. I hope it does. I hope it doesn't just have the original ending as a special feature. Uh but I have Little not seen the Blu-ray's alternate ending. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, um it part it chapter two, the remake part two. <clears throat> There's like direct references to like some classic 80s horror. Like there's a couple parts where like Evil Dead looking like this like old lady with her like tits hanging down like this rotted corpse like grabs yeah, like um, in one the of end the characters. Of Evil Dead too. Yeah, and it just pukes out like a geyser of just black bile. Like just looks it's like obviously a direct reference yeah. to Evil Dead. And then there's a part with like a head crab from Kurt Russell, the the thing, the John Carpenter movie. Oh yeah. And it like this head like falls off. They chop its head off and it sprouts legs and starts crawling away and 
Bill Hader goes, yeah. you got to be fucking kidding. And it's like a direct quote from the thing. So there was like so many cool 80s horror references, which was, I'll be honest, like really made the movie worth it for me. But then also yeah. like just the, it was just a, I just, it was just a fun movie. It wasn't scary, but it was a mm-hmm. fun movie. It was, I, I went in with really low expectations too, because I didn't like the first part of it at all. Yeah. You know what? Uh, uh, it's a weird thing because I've never been into like, you know, grossness in movies, but I'm a huge fan of the first two Evil Dead movies. It's this, it's this thing where, uh, you know, that you make the, the, what you're showing on the screen have more impact. Like I, I realized I made it, I sort of had an epiphany when I was watching Total Recall, which is way better than I remembered it being. Um, the first, I think it's the first You're talking about the Arnold's one, not the Colin Farrell one, right? Yeah. Yes, the first fist fight Arnold Schwarzenegger goes into, and this is where you're not supposed to know really whether, I think you're supposed to assume it's real life at this point, but you, you might be like, oh, uh, it might be fake. But the first fist fight he gets into, uh, it's like slow paced and every punch makes this like really, it's this really like intense sound, like this bone crunching sound. Like, and it, it sounds like it hurts, but it puts you in the movie. It, like, it makes you sort of uh, feel that, like, because Total Recall, it's it's all about, it's it's sort of like a meta movie. It's it's him have, being implanted with fake memories. And right. so it's sort of like giving, it, it, it's just interesting because it sort of gives the audience of the movie that it, that experience. It, it feels more transportative. They, they exaggerate all those, all that, you know, all the uh, gore and, and, and the impacts of everything uh, to make it feel... Like, you know, almost like it's it's coming out of the screen and impacting you. It's, yeah, I need to rewatch yeah. that, man. Uh, Caleb, uh, not too long ago on an episode, brought up how that movie holds up just fantastically. So I haven't seen it in years. Yeah. I need to watch it. And, and like, I'm not, I'm not even that... Oh, man, it, this conversation's... I'll, let's try not let's try not to make it, like, a too big of a, of a segue, but, but uh, like, I'm, I'm not, like, uh, an enormous... I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his directing style. Uh... Um, what's his? Well, I'm blanking on his name, but he Who did directed it. Um, uh, uh just one second. Uh, Paul Ver, uh, Paul Verhoeven. I'm a oh, huge fan of Terry Gilliam as well. Uh, Paul Verhoeven did uh RoboCop and Starship Troopers. Oh, okay, yeah, that's two more movies you, I haven't seen in forever. And Starship Troopers is a great movie, but the weird thing is, there's like dozens and do- it's 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 like it's a weird it's like a. Mandela effect thing that's on par with the whole the Lion King is a ripoff of Kimba the White Lion where everybody just agrees with the same narrative without actually knowing the details where they say that um, the movie Starship Troopers is like it's um, it's a parody of fascism which the writer apparently thought he was writing uh, a satire of fascism because uh, the writer of the book Starship Troopers uh Heinlein was it Heinlein? Uh, uh, might have to look it up. But uh, he was he was not writing a book about uh, yeah he- Robert A. Heinlein. Um, so it's kind of like Stephen. He was King not writing wasn't... a book about fascism. He was writing. A, he was basically uh, he was like a political. Uh, he studied politics and he sort of sort of uh, theorizing about sort of uh, what could be the uh, the right way to to construct a society where. Um, the right to vote comes after uh, uh, having some having some stake in 
politics. Like, I mean, have, having some stake in the state. Like, like you you get the right to vote after serving the government. And I, I haven't read the book, so I don't know if it if it's like because people paint it as it's only uh, military service that gets you the right to vote. But uh, I, I think it it might be more broad than that in the book. Um, but people like to say, so if only military people get the right to vote, then, then, uh, then the, you know, it's going to be a fascist, uh, society because it's just militaristic people uh, who are making all the decisions for the world. But that's not how it w would work because that would mean that anybody who, who want, like, okay, for one thing, it would be a society where there wouldn't really be much war because the whole earth is united and they're fighting against bugs that did they even know they existed right until but then we the get into globalism and i'm more of a nationalist yeah yeah but like just you know pragmatically like just imagine that the world just happens to be one a one world government how do you construct a society that already has a one a government um and it, it you know so if you want to vote you may not be like you may not want to get into you know real world violence but but you'd still uh, you know, uh, you still serve your country in order to, to get the right to vote. Because, like, you know, there's all these people who have no stake. And you know how, like, how it always bugs me when people uh, uh, do these Twitter posts where they, they don't say who who to vote for, but they just say, go out there and vote. Like, if you're not interested in voting, if you're not, yeah, if you're not already interested in voting, then then you shouldn't vote. If you don't have a stake in, if you don't feel like you have a personal stake in I'm, I'm in, voting, in voting, Kanye. like I'm voting for Kanye West. Yeah, but like, <laughs> uh, yeah, like why should why should somebody vote if if uh, if it's not their their problem? <laughs> you know, if yeah. they if they didn't invest anything in what they're voting on. So like that idea, I think it's an interesting idea, and and you know that idea shouldn't be just labeled and swept aside as fascist well and, and no you know, because people to just to piggyback off that idea it makes sense because in 2008 and 2012 ron paul had like if i'm going from memory correctly ron paul the anti-interventionalist anti-war candidate republican candidate had like over 80 percent of support from the military like when like troops overseas yep. and and troops at home like military was like oh yeah totally in support of ron paul who wanted to end these wars and yeah. like ron paul was pulling it like five percent in like with the citizens so i think the military overall yeah. like is anti-war at least on the ground with, troop uh, level. with uh civilian like uh in in starship troopers uh there's a distinction between citizen and civilian when you're a, you're a citizen you become a citizen when you've when you've invested uh you know some when you've given something of yourself to the state if you're if you haven't then you're a civilian and you don't vote yeah um so I, like, I, I like realized... that, and, and i guess go ahead sorry yeah i, I guess it, it just the i i got really interested in, in the idea uh i mean just like it, it just as a way to give like to, for people to have like because you know not everyone goes uh joins the army because they want to fight some people do it because they they, they see that it, it gives them it it proves that they have value yeah and you get you know you can get supposedly even though we treat our veterans like shit sometimes you can get health care down the road or you know a free ride to college once you do your two years or whatever um and like like 
And I, I like I, I can say I don't know where I stand on the subject of should we should we just inherently treat I, I think we should obviously have a basic respect for all for all people but but like um, do we do we give the same respect to uh, just inherently to to uh, people just regardless of what they've done you know yeah. uh, what they've accomplished. Yeah. So in the movie, they they tried to critique fascism without actually portraying it, because if you uh, look at the plot, like it doesn't line up. Uh, they they have characters like Neil Patrick Harris basically wears an SS uniform in the movie. Um, was, oh man, I lost my train of thought. Uh, so the the thing is, people have said, okay, so nothing that they do, nothing that the characters do in the movie is, or the, anything that their government does is fascist per se. But the movie is uh, propaganda is like it's like a fictional propaganda piece for a, a a hypothetical fascist government. But then, if if that was the case, why did they put uh, those cartoony propaganda pieces in the movie? Those actual propaganda reels in the movie. So it just mixes the metaphor, you know, past recognition. Anyway, I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch that, that, man, because now, like, no, it's I a be- good movie. It's a, I barely it's a good remember movie, but about like, it. yeah. I just remember uh, Red Letter it. Media did an interesting uh, video on it where they compared it to a certain Star Trek episode. It was, I think, I believe it was the episode that had the uh, William Shatner fighting the, the you know, the the monster. He throws a rock at that monster. Oh, the lizard it became a big meme. Yeah, that lizard. Um, yeah, uh, where he, uh, uh, Mike Staklasa compares the Starship Troopers to to that episode of, of uh, Star Trek and says that it's basically sort of an inverted version of that, where uh, uh, like in Starship Troopers, they they go to this. Uh, they the humans are actually the the aggressors and the the aliens just do a counterattack. Uh, but you know, it's not. It doesn't really come off that way in the movie. It just looks like there's some colonists, human colonists in the movie Starship Troopers, that are that are unknowingly on the land of the uh, like a planet that is occupied by these these bugs, and so the the bugs recognize it as a, as a threat and then throw a huge rock at the Earth. Um, yeah, but in the movie, it it just it just if 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 that's what they were going for, that the humans were the aggressors all along, and uh, it it doesn't really communicate that very well yeah it's not quite as on the nose as the to serve man episode of twilight it's a good book twilight what i said twilight Twilight zone (laughs) oh yeah um okay so as far as anything recent you liking anything that's out now it's hard to find good quality content like i've mainly been listening especially since i can do it while i'm driving or while i'm at work 90 percent of my media intake has been podcasts so, but like yeah, when I find same time, for me. I'll... I uh, I listen to um, EFAP. Have you heard of that? No. How you spell that? Um, a guy called uh, EFAP. Uh, it's on a um, the channel Mahler. The, their uh, archived um, videos are in, in a ch- channel called Mueller M O O L E R. Uh, but, uh, this guy, he, he sort of, um, uh, his claim to fame was, uh, I mean, he, he originally started doing these like really, really long, intense, like deep, uh, breakdowns of video games. He did a video, he did a video on Dark Souls 2 and, uh, ukulele. Um, but then, uh, uh, Star Wars Last Jedi came out and he did a video, uh, 
he did a critique. He did like an hour long or two hour long critique of of uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and then and then later on did a like an even longer one. Like because uh, his original one was just his thoughts after seeing the movie, and then he did one that was like a very finely edited like multi part video, and uh, it's just great content. And he does a podcast with a couple other people. And they have their whole, they have a, their own mythology. Like they have uh, their audience, uh, basically they uh, make some memes, make, uh, do art for them. And uh, it's just the, on their podcast, EFAP, they, they uh, do uh, responses. EFAP stands for every frame of pause. Uh, so they're basically uh, a person in the video. Uh, it's usually a video like, cause YouTube is flooded with, with, uh, varying qualities of uh of video essays on on movies and video mm -hmm. games and so they basically they whenever a really bad one comes out they they look at it uh they they uh respond to it i think it, it's a slightly flawed um uh format because you know when when uh you know someone says a sentence and then you respond to that sentence it, it's you know it's better if you get the whole point out because they can take like they can uh talk about like a sentence from somebody for like 10 minutes but they're they're like therapy they, they whenever they criti uh, critique someone's video they invite they they uh you know leave the door open for that person to come on their channel and and uh they've converted some people like uh I mean, uh, the biggest thing was people, um, they were responding to people defending Star Wars The Last Jedi and, you know, people, you know, calling the, the critics of Star Wars The Last Jedi racists and stuff like that. And yeah, it's just, it's just great. And, and, uh, so many of the people who hate Mahler, they, uh, uh, basically they say, oh, well, he must've been so angry to put out, uh, hours and hours long videos on a movie, uh, that's not even that long. And, uh, it's just ridiculous because there's so much to talk about in a movie. And especially when you're, when you're breaking down the plot and, and saying, okay, does this make sense? Was this, was this well-written? Like, right. uh, do, does it add up? Uh, there's a lot to talk about and, and like, and you can talk about it for hours and then still have like actually fascinating, like more, uh, things to, to consider. Anyway, so that's, that's like, uh, where a lot of my time is gone. Yeah. And it, uh, yeah. Is that a video podcast or audio? It's uh well it's it's video on it's YouTube but they they don't they don't go on video they just have their icons and then they they show what they show in the video is uh the video they're responding to and often right. uh, they res they do videos responding to memes they they have so many uh super chats that they have to uh, occasionally they have to um do videos just for responding like uh, like six hour long podcasts just for responding to super chats from a previous that's video. a problem i hope to have one day <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh yeah no I, like mainly like i said because of like driving or at work like that's that's one of the main reasons that i wanted that we, when we made oh, this like no yeah, and I, caleb I, aren't here today but we wanted to make this an audio only podcast because for me like yeah i I can't like I'm a podcast mainly when I listen to them. Like there's a rare occasion when I'll I'll watch it on TV or something at home or watch it on my phone. But usually my podcast consumption is either driving around or at work because I can listen at work all day. So like a video, like doing video is um, a waste for most podcasts that I listen to, unless it's something that like like uh, Drunken Peasants or Deep Fat Fried like go better with video, but. I, I don't like it, it's just a I like the audio medium 
Because when I'm home, I'm usually yeah. actually watching. If I'm going to watch something, it's going to actually be like a movie or a TV show. But as far as like anything recent, like what stuck out to you is like um, a good movie or a good TV show. Because I'm, I'm interested because like so much of it's just horrible dog shit at this point. Yeah. Uh, even well, the problem for me is even when something is really good, I enjoy it less because I just don't like new like you know very digital productions. Like, right. Uh, even when something is really well made and really considered and thought out, it, it's I just uh, there's always something still that that bugs me about it. Uh, I, I so mostly I watch older movies from you know like the early, basically the early two thousand the early aughts and previous uh 80s movies are my favorite john carpenter's the Although, thing with kurt russell uh, still is one of my favorite horror movies because the special effects were all practical effects there was yes. no reliance on that and 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 like let, i mean the, the most obvious example of that is the original lord of the rings trilogy versus the hobbit trilogy yeah. what a, an example of how practical if there if you want an example of how practical effects are way better than green screen and cgi that's Patient Zero right there. And I kind of understand why they thought they had to go with the CGI orcs because uh, you're having, you know, uh, you have to have uh, humans who are playing dwarves, 13 dwarves, and have them fight uh, enemies that are much larger than themselves. Right. And, uh, and in the Lord of the Rings movies, all they did, all they, they didn't, like, it was really simple what they did with uh, um, having the... Uh, uh, the main actors and then the little people actors they used uh like there were you know shots where there's two characters sitting at a table they just use forced perspective where I like you said little people instead sitting. of midget yeah uh imps actually <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to i don't understand how dwarf could possibly be offensive but then again i'm i'm not a dwarf so yeah <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, I think I think dwarf. It's is, like colored people or people of color. And, it's like it means the same thing, but yeah. ones except. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was really simple. I mean, I mean, it was obviously there were some shots that were really complicated for them in, in Lord of the Rings, but but most of like the concepts being used were simple, like like using uh, having building the sets in two different sizes. Obviously, very very complicated to do if you actually have to do it, but in theory, it's very simple. Um, in in the Hobbit, uh, since since there were so many scenes where the main characters being focused on were normal sized, yeah, uh, definitely. It, like in the Hobbits, in the original movies, weren't even in that many action scenes. Um, but yeah, just just as a, a practicality for the action scenes. Although I, I think they could have pulled it off with practical stuff, just getting casting really big guys for the orcs. Yeah, well, I just I just remember seeing the behind-the-scenes footage where Peter Jackson, so much of the time, is just, like, sitting down with his head in his hands. Just yeah. like Because New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers were both, like, rushing him to get it done. They The obvious yeah, critique he, that everybody had was, you guys turned the shortest book into a three-part trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure there have been re-edits of it where people have uh you know taken it down to a movie length movie oh dude yeah that's, a, any, that's a good I, honestly because like there were parts of the hobbit series or the trilogy that i loved but it's like this really could have been one awesome movie and you gotta stretch it out into three mediocre yeah. movies i think there are still parts that would be messed up like how do you like you know how in the book uh smaug is killed by uh 
a guy bard uh, shoots an arrow at Smaug. There's no right. city being destroyed. So if you wanted to do it like the book, I I I, I don't think the footage exists for that in the movies. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, I think but there's just a lot of far, stuff. Just like the books aside, the, the the Hobbit book aside, though, I think like if you combined the best parts and the important parts of all three Hobbit yeah. movies, you'd have a killer, yeah. you know, four hour movie. But I'm just, yeah, just using it as an example, though, because I think there are some stuff, some things in the movie that that for fans of the book will come off as as kind of mess, messed up uh, compared to what it, it should be because of sort of the way they've made it. Like I don't know, like. I don't know if any of the those subplots, you know, where they follow what Gandalf is doing. I don't know if any of that sort of creates any con. Oh yeah, one thing is that uh, you know the last movie is called the Battle of Five Armies, and they they call it that because that's what it's called in the book. Um, I think one of the chapters in the book is called the Battle of Five Armies, but the armies are different. Like in the in the Hobbit movie, there's only like four armies. I think there's the elves, there's um, the goblin the was it, I think goblins were one of the ones in the in the book, but I think the movie they're just orcs or I don't know. And uh, one of the armies in the books was that last wars. movie made me feel like I was playing Battle for Middle Earth too, like the real time strategy video game, which I love that game. Yeah. But. Oh, oh. Also, uh, Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly played a character, and his face was completely CGI, and it was so obvious. Apparently, he was very sick when they were filming that. But what happened? I don't know, man. I was just <laughs> so, so disappointed weird. with those movies. We got to end on a happier note as far as good movies. Um, yeah, I've been into Amazon Prime recently. They have a lot of older movies, and I watched uh, Mr. Bean. I know I had, I had a friend, uh, the Bean, Bean movie from 1997. No, I had a, I had a friend who, uh, like, when I was a little kid, he said it was the funniest movie ever, and I watched it, and I thought it was really funny. But then, like, I was like, eh, no, no way, it's the funniest movie ever. I watched it again recently. It's one of the funniest movies ever. <laughs> You're not talking about Mr. Bean's Holiday, right? You're talking about the older one? No, the the 1997 movie. It's it's a lot. I'd say it's a lot better. Although I'd say both of them, including uh, Mr. Bean's Holiday, have movies. like unreasonably good. They both have unreasonably good soundtracks. There's a scene in in uh, Mr. Bean from 1997 where uh, he's pulling off a heist, uh, basically to to replace the the ruined the the painting of Whistler's mother that he ruined. And it goes into, like, it's like, sort of, it starts out, like, with really generic, cliche, like, sort of burglar music, and then, and then it, it, it goes into this, like, piano solo that's, like, incredibly complex, and then, and then overlays it with, with the main theme of the movie that's, like, really, like, like, sweeping and dramatic. It's kind of like the Brave, the Dragonheart theme, I almost said Braveheart, the, dra the theme from the movie Dragonheart, it's, it's sort of like that. Um, and it's, like, it's, it's you know juxtaposed with uh he puts uh some like uh laxative into the security yard's drink and the security guard and then switches the keys for the the restroom and then so the security guard is going back and forth between the keys and the restroom like trying to trying to get in and it's it, while the most dramatic music you've ever heard is happening <laughs> it's just gonna, perfect you're giving me such a great list of like movies i've seen but i haven't seen in like the better part of a decade that i have to go back to now yeah, I, I have. It's it's, it it seems a, a lot of the movies I love are movies that I've already seen before. Uh, but one movie that I, that is amazing. It's basically my favorite movie now that I've only seen this year, and I wish I'd seen it a lot sooner. Is uh, the Man Who Would Be King, which is an adaptation of a Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling story. 
It's directed by John Huston. It, it was, it came out in 1975. John Huston is the guy who directed uh, um, uh, the Maltese Falcon, like a um, and uh, yeah, a bunch of Humphrey Bogart movies, uh, the African Queen. Uh, I've never heard of that. But he did, uh, he did the Man Who Would Be King. Uh, he, um, it stars Michael Caine. And uh, Sean Connery. And I was never a fan of Michael Caine. Like, he was always just the old guy with the Cockney accent and stuff. Uh, until I saw this movie where he's just ex- extremely endearing. It's about um, two uh, British officers in India uh, who go off into uh, a country called Kafiristan. It's it's a real place, but it's no longer called Kafiristan. It's like, I don't <laughs> know. Think uh, which, which Middle Eastern... Yeah, um, basically their plan is to to uh, to go there. There's like a bunch of warring tribes, and their plan is to go there with like twenty guns and train uh, people from there uh, to fight for them, and then they would basically take over the entire country. And and uh, while this happens, one of the characters is uh, like he's wearing one of the vests from the tribe, and and uh, he has a bandolier under it, and he uh, he gets shot with an arrow, but it goes it sticks into the bandolier. And and he pulls it out and and everyone thinks that he's a god because you know he pulls out the arrow and he's not bleeding, um, and so uh, basically all the, it, it's basically the plot of the road to El Dorado, but way better. And it's really funny. Like have, have you seen the road to El Dorado, the DreamWorks movie from? Uh, late I'm 90s, thinking of I'm thinking of that Disney movie or something. Or was it DreamWorks? The one is that the animated one? Uh, it was well. They made Disney made uh, the Emperor's New Groove and the road. Like you know how Disney and and no, Dreamworks not the Emperor's New Groove. A, what's a, the What's the one where they like um, <clears throat> they find uh, like some kind of not Atlantis, but like it's like they're they like they're like Atlantis game... Lost Empire. <laughs> no, not that. No, one. Uh, oh it's, God, it's it's what about like uh, uh, two was... friends uh, find El Dorado and then and yeah. Uh, yeah. the people of El Dorado mistake them for gods. Yes, in the animated, you know. Yes, and that that was made. That was the DreamWorks movie, DreamWorks animation movie that came out right after The Prince of Egypt. It was a, I think, a huge step down in quality, but still a pretty good movie. Yeah. Uh, Disney and uh, Disney Disney had this whole war with with uh, DreamWorks, where they they each tried they tried to copy each other's movies, like try to sort of get their version out first. And so, um, originally Disney was going to do uh, an adaptation of the Emperor's New Clothes, uh, and have it be like a sort of dramatic movie, like Emperor's New Clothes, but in uh, in South America. And uh, I guess DreamWorks' idea was to do a, a movie taking place in in South America uh, that also has this sort of historical context. Uh, yeah, uh, but anyway, the road to El Dorado I think was very inspired by the man who would be king, which. Is it's just one of the best movies I've ever seen. I, I watched it like eight times in the last few weeks or last few months, really. That's on Amazon but, Prime. Uh, well, it's it's four dollars. It's not one of the free movies. Yeah, I, I got the DVD. The DVD is terrible. Uh, if you try to get the Blu-ray now, it's like a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars. I yeah, well, it, the Blu-ray is out of print, I guess. But it's on it's HD on Amazon, you know, streaming platform of your choice. But it's not one of the free movies. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just got a lot of great dialogue and and oh yeah, Christopher Plummer plays Rudyard Kipling and and he's really great. 
uh, yeah, um, when Michael Caine has the idea of, of Michael uh, Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine. Uh, Michael he Caine. has the idea of of just of just going along with the going along with the whole uh, like people think that Sean Connery's character is a god. He's like, why don't we just uh, uh, you know go along with it? And and uh, Sean Connery's like, wouldn't that be blasphemy? And Michael Caine is just like, no, blasphemy is when you take his name in vain. <laughs> That's like a. I just thought that was a, that was a great line. That is a good line. That's like a. He's like Sean Connery slapped Indiana Jones for that shit. Indiana Jones is like yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh, he yeah. Was, yeah. Sean Connery was apparently he was only twelve years older than uh, Harrison Ford. I I recently really? watched. Yeah, and it's weird because uh, I recently watched um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which was like the, I think the last mainstream movie he did. I watched that uh, movie recently. Because it was such a, it was such a does bomb. not hold up in my opinion. No, I think the movie's really like it's really fun to watch, but it nothing makes any sense. Yeah, it's like it was like a cool concept, but it was just so hodgepodge together yeah. with nonsense. Uh, yeah, it's based on a comic from the writer Alan Moore, the writer of Watchmen and V for Vendetta. Uh, and the comic is like, uh, it's it's sort of uh, like an it's written in the style of an old pulp. It's it's uh, it's really dark. Um, yeah, I, I, it's good, but. Not my kind of thing. Um, yeah, but the thing I noticed is that Sean Connery in that movie uh, feels like old Sean Connery in the way that Sean Connery in, you know, uh, Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade doesn't feel like old Sean Con- Like his voice, his voice is very aged in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He's like, yeah. I watched a video about one of the like really cheap animated movies that they, they got him to the voice for. Like a really weird, uh, I think Scottish production, this really low budget animated movie that's like extremely baffling but they got sean connery you know there's like all these movies uh like food fight is a famous example where they yeah. they just do these these really cheap movies but they get sort of uh celebrities who aren't really the big thing anymore to do the voices and they put those celebrities names on on the front like i think food fight had uh, charlie <laughs> i Sheen forgot about and, that and movie yeah Hil- hillary duff everyone's favorite <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, uh before we get too far away from sean connery I'm sure you remember this gem of an interview. I know Sean Connery regrets this conversation. Okay. You did an interview in which you oh, yeah. said, it's not the worst thing to slap a woman now and then. As I remember, you said you don't do it with a clenched fist. It's better to do it with an open hand. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't I, love that. I haven't changed my opinion. Uh, you have? No. <laughs> you think it's good to slap a woman? <laughs> oh, God. Back to so good. It, yeah. I, I didn't love that. I haven't changed my opinion. Uh, you haven't? No. Not at all. You think it's good to slap a woman? No, I don't think it's good. You I don't think, think it's bad? Much, I don't think it's that bad. I think that it depends entirely on the circumstances and if it merits it. Yeah. Uh, what would merit it? Well, if you have tried everything else, and women are pretty good at this, that they can't leave it alone. Yeah? They don't want to have the, the, the last word, and you give them the last, last word, but they're not happy with the last word. They want to say it again <laughs> and, and get into a really provocative situation. Then I think it's absolutely right. <laughs> Dude, okay. The, the original James Bond, Sean Connery, you can go oh, back yeah. and find tons 
of compilations because in every movie he's just beating the shit out of women <laughs> that's like every old james bond movies he's like get a hold of yourself you know <laughs> i saw an earlier version of james bond uh before, there was a movie it was like a, yeah there was like a tv movie uh that was uh let's see i think it was like in a in a there was a series that was like um an anthology series where each episode is a different story and so they did an adaptation of uh casino royale and james bond it had uh I think was Peter Lorre the name of that like Eastern European guy that was like the short and I don't know it had him but he looked he was looking really old like huh. it was only like ten years after the Maltese Falcon um, but it had a James Bond in that movie was American and uh, yeah because he wasn't really famous yet as you know the Sean Connery James Bond oh that's interesting yeah and huh. it was it was like but you, you, you know, know how there was those... around what time that was out it must have been the fifties. Like late fifties, maybe. Interesting. I don't know. Um, yeah, um, you know those episodes of the Twilight Zone that was that were shot on the type of film stock they use for like live footage. Yeah. Like they they looked really weird. Like it has that light headed feeling. That's what they used for this uh, TV show. Yeah, but uh, there was also um, I watched the the original Casino Royale. Have you seen that? Is that one with Sean Connery? No, it it was made. Um, I think that like I guess I don't know if it was like the rights for James Bond were like sort of. Uh, it, it was. I think it was made after the first couple of Sean Connery movies. I'm not entirely certain, but it had um, it had uh, Peter Sellers in it, and it had Woody Allen. Yeah, I don't think it I've was seen a comedy. That. It was like it was a psychedelic comedy. Huh. It was like they had a few different directors. Oh, John Huston, the director of uh, The Man Who Would Be King, was one of the directors um, uh, who did. They, they, it was like they had three or four different directors. And like the movie was, uh, and it was really weird because, oh, yeah, um, uh, Orson Welles plays a character in the movie. He plays the same character that um, the villain from the new uh, Casino Royale movie. Um and apparently he really hated Peter Sellers. And so he, he decided he didn't want to, he didn't want to film if Peter Sellers was going to be there. And I guess Peter Sellers wasn't as, he wasn't the big deal uh, he became at the time. Um, and uh, like he had to take, like Peter Sellers had to take time off and then he just never came back to production. So they had to like finish uh, the Peter Sellers parts with like just whatever footage they could scrape up. And it's really weird. Like it gets really psychedelic. I'm a yeah, dude. I've got a list. I've got like five things on this list now from what you told me. About. Um, I uh, have you seen the in the latest latest season of Rick and Morty the heist episode? You son of a bitch! Oh, no, I, I'm in. Yeah, I haven't seen the the last season. Okay, well, without giving away like the um, it's a it's a great episode. Um, there's a, some really good episodes on the latest Rick and Morty season, but the, the heist episode where, um, it's like, it's like, uh, he's <laughs> Morty's like trying to write a script for a heist movie and Rick's just like, they're not having it, but they ended up going to like heist con or whatever. And it's just like, all a heist involves is putting together a meaningless crew. And that's the first two thirds of the movie. And then you find out that the heist had already happened yeah. or whatever. Uh, like, yeah. it's like, it's like, a, yeah. it's like they, they break down the formula of heist movies so well in that episode. It's a great episode. But, um, after that, yeah. like I saw that, like 
a while back earlier this year but then i <laughs> see and i rewatched oceans 11 the other day and it was like yeah. <laughs> every cliche that rick and morty breaks down is ocean all the mm-hmm. oceans movies so funny but, um, yeah, I wonder though if I wonder if any of those cliches were started by the first because uh, Steven Soderbergh is the director of Ocean's Eleven. He's kind of an art film director. He just for the Ocean's movies, he kind of went more mainstream. Right. So I wonder if if he sort of con- contributed anything to uh, the heist movie genre, or if or if you know it was just taking a break from his artistic ambitions. I I mean Ocean's Eleven is not a bad movie by any means, but it's just like so funny how. Rick and Morty just completely and accurately just, you know, yeah. Oh yeah, like shit Community on the heist like, movies. Well, well, that's weird because they all they also did that in uh, in Community. Uh, have you seen that? Uh, they did a, a heist episode where they're stealing chicken fingers or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Like they yeah, had yeah. they had uh, one of them work in the cafeteria. Yeah, just like uh, Bernie Mac yeah, is so, working in the casino in Ocean's Eleven. Dan Harmon repeating himself. Speaking of repeating himself, they did this. Uh, oh man, the guy who did um, the Star Wars: The Clone Wars, Dave Filoni. There was an episode I hated <laughs> of Star Wars: The Clone Wars where they did they did uh, the plot of Seven Samurai, which I don't like that they did that because the plot of Seven Samurai has been repeated so many. Like I've seen so many movies, I didn't even know we're gonna be just seven, the Seven Samurai's plot, and then it is. And so he did an episode where where it's like. Obi-Wan and Anakin defending a, a, a village of like tiny aliens from from bandits or whatever or droids or something and they have to train them and and then so Dave Filoni worked on The Mandalorian the popular new show and I still haven't seen any by of it. episode uh it's I'd say like watch the first couple episodes to get a taste of it and then just quit because it has amazing effects and amazing music but but the writing is awful yeah. By episode four, they do they do the Seven Samurai plot again. <laughs> episode episode four of a new show, they do the Seven Samurai plot. <laughs> it, it took them until like like <laughs> four seasons, like two or th- at least three or four seasons into the Clone Wars to to start recycling plots. I mean, that was a actually that that season of the Are Clone you talking Wars about the two D cartoon? The three D one. Oh, I liked the two D one. I didn't like the three D yeah, one. I, I like Getty Tartakovsky. Uh, I liked the first, I loved the first season of the 3D one. Uh, it gets really dark and just like kind of excruciating by the end of the Maybe show. Maybe I didn't I give it enough of a chance. Episode, I only saw season. like three episodes. No, there's, there's really good stuff in it. Uh, yeah, there's really, there's really good, but it gets kind of, uh, um, it feels pointless when, when you're watching them try to capture General Grievous and it's like, but you know, that's how that story ends in episode three. So, yeah, that season of the the Clone Wars, they they were doing this whole thing where they were doing uh, movie plots, and I think apparently it was uh, George Lucas's idea at the time. Uh, they did an episode that was exactly uh, that was Godzilla, I think, and then they followed it up with <laughs> no, I I don't know, I can't remember because they did the plot of King Kong and they did the plot of Godzilla, but with the same creature. It was like a two part episode or a multi part episode. Oh, and I can't remember. I guess they did the plot of King Kong, and then they bring it to Coruscant, and then they do the plot of Godzilla. And they even have these these tanks that didn't exist in the in the Star Wars lore beforehand that that look like the you know uh, the Godzilla movies with the tiny little toy tanks <laughs> shooting at Godzilla. They they do I, that, but with like lasers. 
I remember this was forever ago because I haven't really watched it since it was new. But the 2D cartoon of the Clone Wars, I remember General Grievous being on a character on there, and it was before oh, yeah. Revenge of the Sith came. Or, uh, yeah, before Revenge of the Sith came out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I still haven't. I have the whole uh, Samurai Jack uh, series. I still haven't watched it. Uh, the same guy, Gendy Tartakovsky, did that. I heard that the end, the ending of the last season wasn't very good. I don't even know how far they, I made were, it in. They, it's been so long. They revived it. Yeah, um, I. Yeah, the that show had a lot of cool stuff. Like uh, it always bugged me that that uh, Jedi can uh, use the Force to lift objects heavier than, than themselves, but they they never use it to fly. They jump, but they never fly. Yeah, it seems like you could be, just you know, push up off the ground. Logically, they. Yeah. Um, but they do have one character sort of floating, like sort of drifting down. So I don't know. It it's I guess that's one of like there are things that they do in the new the Disney movies that break canon. Uh, but I think there were some things in the in the series that were already a little in like I mean the the fact that the Jedi never fly it's just something that you have to accept I guess. But yeah. that doesn't mean that that they should be allowed to just add more inconsistencies like like having the uh, Admiral Holdo's Holdo's doing the hyperdrive uh, into an enemy like destroying an entire enemy fleet with one ship uh by using like some independence yeah it's so so obviously people came up with the question wait so if she can do that why doesn't everyone do that and they tried to pretend it wasn't a a flaw like people were were going with well because it requires somebody to commit suicide to do it well no because i'm pretty sure i mean why wouldn't you know autopilot exist in star wars for one thing, or droids pilot pilot. No, because like, it's a long don't time ago droids. in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. They hadn't invented autopilot yet. <laughs> yeah, but like, like in Star Wars, it's pretty established. People don't treat droids like they're people. They yeah. they see them as just tools. Um, so they could just have a droids fly the ships, you know, do the suicide maneuver. Uh, but right. so so they realized it was a huge plot hole. So in the next movie, uh, because they have a character say, hey, it was Mary from Lord of the Rings, Billy Boyd, or no, is it? Am I getting them mixed up? I don't know. Um, Dominic Monahan. Yeah, Dom. I think it, it was either Dominic Monahan or is I she think the it was one Dominic in War of the Monahan. Worlds that's like Tom Lost. Cruise's ex-wife. <laughs> I'm so confused. Okay, he he says he says. Uh, um, you're thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he says uh, um, we should do some holdo maneuvers. Uh, that, that should even the odds or something like that. And then someone says, that's a million and one chance. Like that's a, that's a million and one shot that that'll work. And so what, uh, okay. So they're, they're, they're retconning, they're retcon. They're saying that, that using the, like driving in hyperdrive into another ship, it's only a million and one chance that, that that'll work as, as that maneuver. So what does that say about Admiral Holdo in the previous movie? That means that, when she did the holdo maneuver, there was a 999,999, you know, to one chance that all she would be doing is getting away from the enemy fleet while while having her all the all the crew members as a decoy that so that the first order would go after her crew members and kill them instead of getting her. So it's like they retconned Admiral Holdo into a coward who was like who was like you know, <laughs> it's, it's so weird. Okay, but before well, we wrap before we wrap this up and end it, what did you think of Solo? Oh, uh, I actually, it's my favorite of the Disney movies, which is not saying much at all. 
Yeah, no, I, I love the I, I, I love the soundtrack. movie. I just didn't like who they cast to play Han Solo. But I guess oh, no matter thought, who they cast, uh, I wouldn't have liked it. To be fair, yeah, Alden Ehrenreich, he's really good in uh, the Coen Brothers movie Hail Caesar. Uh, and I think he's a good actor. The, the thing is, uh, I, mean, I think he does a good job of trying to emulate Harrison Ford without going too far in, into, like, uh, parody. Caricature, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the problem is, when you look at him, you can't you can't imagine him, like, in a few years aging into he just doesn't look know, anything Harrison like Ford solo, in yeah. A New Hope. Exactly. Like, he looks I, he looks like, like just like uh, Tom Holland or, or uh, Michael J. Fox. They always look like children. Like even with, so, they're just wrinklier children. To go back to what we just talked about uh, with with uh, Doctor Sleep, you see why they cast you know people that looked real close to the original actors in Doctor Sleep. Uh, yeah, because otherwise you get stuck with like what happened in Solo that made me really kind of be like, eh, because he didn't look anything like Harrison Ford. Yeah, but but it, it sort of causes. I I think what they did in. Uh, in Doctor Sleep, I think it causes a sort of when they get actors that sort of, I don't know, I don't think they really looked that they looked like that type. They didn't look like the actors. They looked like that type of actor, really. And then they they tried their performances. They tried to play that actor playing that character. It, it sort of causes a slight um, uncanny valley effect for me. Yeah, it was to the point where like, like I can't, when, when I, Jack, I just can't. When Jack Nicholson was in there, I almost thought it was like a CGI. Like, was it? It, it? it was just somebody that looked close to him? I couldn't tell. Yeah, my problem is, like, it's very rare that I watch a movie and I'm just taking it in as a story. I'm, I'm always thinking about, like, I'm basically always thinking about all the production elements, and it just makes me think. Like, when I see that actor, all I'm thinking is, oh, it's an actor playing the actor from the original movie playing the character. You were born to be a movie and, critic. And it just... I mean, well, or, or I, well, the, th the problem with that is, do you approach... There are critics for critics, and there's critics for average audiences. Like, like, because uh, most people when they go see a movie, they they go watch it and and they they enjoy it, and then they forget about like um, a lot of people that enjoyed the recent Star Wars movies. They just go watch it in the theater, they enjoy it, and then it's flushed from their memory. They had a, a nice couple hours of diversion, but but you know, for people like like I'm like I, I hate the the. Uh, the idea that that uh, Star Wars fans are are just fans of Star Wars for like I'm I'm a fan of movies first and I'm a fan of the original Star Wars movies because they're good movies, um, but they just create these false distinctions between people who are going there to see Star Wars and people who are going there to see a movie that you know got great reviews reviews from critics. But the idea the thing is that um, when you cr criti critique a movie, do you critique it for people who are who are sort of on the path? To, to having having your level of of uh, film critique abilities, or do you critique it for general movie audiences who are, who are just looking for like what's an opinion on the movie, so like I can decide whether or not I'm going to enjoy this couple of hours, and then you know am I going to enjoy it and forget about it, or am, or am I going to have an unpleasant time and like maybe remember that I had an unpleasant time? <laughs> well, it, the one movie that and then it's partly why it's my favorite movie of all time is the director's cut of. Oliver Stone's JFK that holds up mm. as a thought-provoking movie and just an entertaining funny like thriller but um oh, yeah. we're uh unless you, you have anything um anything to say or anything to plug before we wrap this up oh not much um uh Wallowing one on Twitter 
Uh, I don't have much going on there yet, but in the future, uh, I will. Nice, yeah, and uh, send me anything else you want me to link, man. And if you're listening to this live, in about an hour, uh, we'll be doing an episode with ASE Riley and Bird Stork about weird food. Uh, that is 8 p.m. Eastern. And then after that, if you're listening live, Nick the Rat, Nick the Rat Radio, will be doing his show. Tune into that. This has been Abs in a Six Pack. If you're listening on the stream, we'll be going a little longer. Darren O'Neill was kind enough to spell out our website because it's a little confusing. A B S N A six, the number P A C K dot com.